we're a very close-knit community as a church, and uh, which is by design. That's how we want to be. And um, because of such, when one of us gets a cold, we all get it. And uh, apparently, I was the last one to get the Sozo winter cold this year, so I've still got it today. My wife had it beginning of this week. She took all kinds of weird hippie stuff. She made syrup out of dried berries and twigs, and uh, and she took it. She was like over it in three days. And you would assume, being a, the wise man that I am, that I would have seen that. Oh, she got over it in like three days. I have friends that have the same thing. They've been struggling for like a week or more. You would assume that me being wise, I would have said, hey. I should drink the weird hippie syrup and get better quicker too. No, I'm a man. So I just figured drinking water was good enough for me and it's not. Um, so this morning, if I'm drinking a lot more coffee than normal, you'll just have to ponder what I've said before I drank longer. Like now. But uh, really, even before I jump into the word as well, uh, we wrapped up our 13-day fast yesterday. We did a 13-day, for those of you who weren't a part of it, we did a 13-day Daniel fast, which means uh, Daniel, uh, when he was seeking the Lord, he he said he fasted in a unique way. Oftentimes we hear fasting, we think absolutely not eating at all, or maybe just drinking juices, or some people get really crazy and just drink water. Uh, but Daniel did this specific fast where he gave up, it says meat, delicacies, which if you look that word up, it means sweets, the, the sweet uh, foods of, of his time. And he didn't drink any wine. He didn't drink any alcohol. So we, we gave up meat, sweet, and alcohol for 13 days for 2013. We had a campaign going on Facebook. Most of you guys probably saw that. We're posting every day things to pray for, scriptures to read. And I uh, want to just real quick, if you were a part of that and you were doing that and you felt like the Lord put something on your heart during that time, uh, we want you to share that with us, whether it was for you or for the church. Maybe God did something uh, uh, in your life and through your life during that time. Uh, we want to kind of hear about that and celebrate that together. So you can email us at curious at sozospokane.org or just get on our Facebook, facebook.com slash and message us on there and let us know so that we can celebrate together. Amen? Awesome. And I want to just point out, you all lived through the fast. So if anybody was afraid you wouldn't, you did. And uh, it's a good thing. We're continuing, like I said, our, uh, our series on Ephesians. This is week two. Um... This week, we're going to be looking specifically on the topic, a mystery within a mystery. Uh, we're kind of looking at all these the mysteries that are revealed throughout Ephesians. We're going through it verse by verse, studying it through. This is kind of something new for us as a church, digging in very deeply into one book of the Bible, just kind of hanging out there, chewing through it, and uh, and looking through it. So, uh, But before, we, before uh, this starts up, I want to ask... Does anybody here, anybody, and this is not to embarrass anybody or to make you feel bad or, or guilty, but does anybody here not own a physical copy of the Bible? Awesome. That's good. Not, now, let me just pre- paraphrase it. I don't mean like your grandma has like the big one with the 3D picture of Jesus on the front and you're allowed to read it when you go over to her house. I mean like you don't own one yourself. Okay, we're all good on that? Awesome. Uh, second question then. This one's complicated, so you got a specific group of people I'm looking for here. If you're here, you have a copy of the Bible, obviously, but you don't have a smartphone that you can download the free Uversion app. So either, either you don't have a smartphone at all, or I don't know if BlackBerry has one or Windows. No hate, but I just don't know if they have it. I'm just because I haven't owned a BlackBerry in a lot of years. So you don't have a smartphone where you can download Uversion, and the physical copy of your Bible is not an ESV. Anybody? So you, you, you. <laughs> I'm looking for a specific group of people here. It's okay. So 
Think first, do you have a smartphone? Yes or no? Okay. If you don't, then you're still in this group. And you don't have an ESV version of the Bible. Anybody got a hand raised? Good. We're, we're doing, you don't have an ESV? Awesome. Well, I have a present for you. This is a copy of the ESV. I preach out of the ESV Bible. And so uh, this is a, f- a free gift for you. Hi, I'm Mark, by the way. What's your name? Hi, Shanae. This is, this is just awkward now in front of everybody, isn't it? Isn't it great? It's awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, this is a free copy of the ESV for you. Uh, I love the ESV translation. It's a great translation. I recommend picking one up. And we're going to be studying out of Ephesians. So you might want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, there, there's like a little, yeah, that's cool. That's information about the ESV Bible. So Ephesians, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I won't go all the way there. I'm just teasing. You're getting there. You're getting there. There you go. Oh, and what's in there but a $10 Starbucks gift card. Give it up for her this morning. She got came to church and got free stuff. So he, here's what I'm trying to show with this. She accepted a free gift of what? A Bible, right? We all follow in on this. We track it on this. But inside that Bible was what? Free coffee. And the, I mean, come on. Free coffee is good coffee. Amen? Amen. Uh, so we, we, what I want us to see here this morning is that we, we saw last week that we are in Christ, right? We, we, we looked into this, but now I want us to kind of dig in to realize that there's a mystery even within being within Christ. There's more in receiving Christ, in, in accepting his free gift, in being given this gift. More was given to us than just that. And that's good news. Amen. That's some exciting stuff. So, uh, we're going to open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Uh, we're going to reread verse 3 because really these this message and last week kind of dovetail together. They kind of fit together nicely. And so I want us to kind of uh, hear what it is we read last week. I'm not going to preach it, don't worry. But uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into it here. Uh, verse 3, chapter 1, book of Ephesians says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, everybody say in Him, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him we also, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together and let's jump into this. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that it's living and active. God, we thank you that it's powerful. God, we thank you that in you, 
God, that your word comes alive in us. That as we abide in you, as we rest in you, as we, as we encounter you, God, and stay engaged with you, your word becomes alive and bears fruit in our lives. And God, this morning we ask that we would hear your word, that we would receive your word. But God, we also ask that we would do your word. God, this morning would you transform us, make us different when we leave than when we came in. God, not by, not by repetition, not by trying harder. God, not by our works, but by your grace and by your goodness and by your sovereign hand, would you change us, God, to be more like you, to be more like how you created us to be. Now let your work be effective. Let your grace be effective in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. All right. So real fast, I want to review last week's uh, here. Again, we're not going to do this every week, but I feel like for any of us that missed last week, again, because these messages kind of fit together, uh, I need us to kind of all be on the same page with this. So we're going to review. Um, what we saw in verses 3 through 6 was that God has pursued us out of His will for the purpose of His glory by the power of His grace. Amen? So we are accepted by God because we were in Christ when He entered into a covenant with the Father on the cross. That is why you're accepted in Him. It's not by our works, but of His that we are saved. Amen? Good thing to say amen too, okay? We've got to get this. We've got to understand this. Uh, there's no deeper revelation than this. That is to rest in the finished work of Christ. Let me just be honest with you. I get really scared when I when I listen to, to preachers, either on the radio or on TV or through podcasts, that get into deeper revelation, that they've got some deep thing they want to teach you. Can I tell you the deepest revelation you can have is Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's God. That's a pretty deep revelation. The mysteries that often these people misquote when they are quote unquote teaching the Bible are often misquoted. What, what the, what the Bible is really trying to get at and what he's trying to get at here in Ephesians is the mystery of you being in Christ. There's no deeper revelation than that. There's no greater, grander thing. Let me tell you, that's a short road that don't turn. And if, if, if somebody starts teaching, well, I got some really better way for you to be holy, a better way for you to be spiritual other than Jesus, run. Turn off the radio, <laughs> turn off the television, come on somebody, and, and get your Bible out. It's about Jesus. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The emphasis must remain on God and salvation and not on us, lest we be guilty of stealing glory from God. Okay, that's, that's the danger here uh, when we get into when we get into deeper revelation, when we get into deeper things, and when we, when, we, when we try to ascribe elements of salvation to us, we begin to steal the glory of God. This is important because it ends here in, this, this, in verse 14. It says, all these things God did, all, all, of the, all of the emphasis, all of the work, all of the saving, all of the grace, Jesus did, God performed, He accomplished to the praise of His glory. Now this is a very, very, very important phrase that we need to understand. Everything He did, everything He accomplished, He did so that He gets the glory. We understand this? We, we, we jive in, we, we follow in here. And we need to be careful lest humanism and human thinking would sneak in and rob God of the glory by ascribing salvation to us rather than to God. We start saying, well, no, I think really I am the one who did this. We, we talked about Mephibosheth last week and how he, he did respond in humility. He did respond in, in humbling himself. 
before David, but it was the covenant David made with Jonathan that brought Mephibosheth's salvation, not his response. And we want to talk about our response all the time, walk around with our chest puffed out like somehow I responded good enough to make up for all the crap I did in my life, and that's why Jesus uh, accepts me. No, 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 no. The Father accepts us because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. Amen? God's glory, come on somebody, is the, ver- is the very exaltation of His glorious nature. Now, I could get in here, honest, we could do a 47-year study of the glory of God and not even touch what it is, okay? I'm just going to throw that out right now uh, before we even, even get any further. But really, there's no more permeating theme throughout the Scriptures than the glory of God. We see it constantly. I, I would, I, I mean, I haven't actually gone through and looked, but I would, I would estimate from the times I've read through the Bible, there's not a single book of the Bible that doesn't at least mention the glory of God. More than any other theme. And it's, it's almost like God is obsessed with His glory. And the reason for this, and, and this is going to kind of be our, our basic working definition. If you want to get into a theological argument with me over, you know, messaging, we can do that later. But just, just, Working definition here for us, okay? The glory of God, the glory of God is His attributes on display. Okay, when we talk about the glory of God, see, I think it's important if we're going to talk about how, how important it is, if we're going to talk about how permeating the theme is, right, we should probably know what the heck we're talking about when we say the glory of God. Because all of us come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and we hear the word glory and we probably all think different stuff. What we're talking about right now is the attributes of God, His character, His nature, His person, the things that make Him God being shown forth to the universe. That's what we're talking about. And that, that glory is the single most valuable thing on, in, in all of creation, in all of existence, everywhere. Nothing is more valuable than God's glory. Do you understand this? Are we getting this? When, when, when the exaltation, the, the magnification of God's glory... We don't add to it, come on somebody, but we magnify it, we show it, we, 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 we emphasize it, right? Is very, 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 very valuable. More value than, more valuable than anything else. We, we jive in on this? We good on this? Okay. So we gotta get that through this whole thing. We're gonna see as we, as we chew through these, these seven verses here, this consistent theme of God's will, His good will toward us, His grace working in us, and Him receiving the glory. And I want us to kind of keep that in our minds as we go back through. We're going to go back through now and look at, um, at these verses in Ephesians here together. Whoa, we're jumping ahead. I'm so good at technology. No, I'm not. Where'd we go? There we go. Yay. Okay, you got your Bible still open or your Bible application still open? We're studying the Bible together right now. So it's a good thing to keep your Bible open. Verse 7. It says, in Him, we're going to see the things we have in Him. Those, the, what are the gift cards inside the gift, right? What are the things inside of it? Has anybody else ever gotten a, a card for your birthday? Right? And you're like, what's the first thing you think? is like, yay, thank you so much. You got me a card. Awesome. And then you open it, and there's like 50 bucks, and they're like, woohoo, thank you for the card. And they're not thinking for the card. You're thinking for the stuff in the card. My grandma, I have, I have uh, one of my, my grandmothers is still alive, and, and uh, love her dearly, and and she likes to give gifts to us grandkids. And so, but she got sick of us as little kids. We figured out the card thing, right? So what, what do you do when you're a little kid? You just open up the card and you don't even read it. You just dump it out to see what's in there, right? No, you guys are way holier than me. You never did that. Uh, that's what we do as kids. So my grandma caught on to this. So do you know what she started to do? She started to go buy confetti. 
And she would put it in the card and then put the money in the card so that when you dumped it on yourself, you were covered in confetti. And as an eight-year-old boy, that's not cool. We didn't like that. So we had to learn. But that's what we're talking about here. What, what's the thing inside the thing? What's the mystery within the mystery? What are the, the things given to us in him as we accept him? So verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen? So we are redeemed. I want you to see this. We are redeemed by the forging power of the blood of Christ through the grace of God. We are saved. Come on, somebody. We, we, we got saved. We, we, were, we were redeemed. We were bought back. Salvation was given to us by the forging, the pressing, the, the, the breaking through power of the blood of Jesus because of the grace of God. Fundamentally, nail it to the floor. That's what did it. Nothing else did it. Nothing else accomplished it. It was the grace of God. His grace nature. We understand this. We, we, we clearly see a lot in the Old Testament God's holiness, right? We see His holiness and therefore His judgment. We see, we see His righteousness on display. We see His, His, uh, His anger, His wrath towards sin. Okay? This is all, these are all elements and attributes of God. Those were on display, but His grace nature is also part of His glory. And therefore His grace nature desired to forgive sin, right? His, his grace nature, the grace nature of God was displayed through the sacrificial death and shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ so the redemption for us could be bought. Okay, so, so God's grace nature and His holiness, you could almost see this as, as, as attention was being pulled. So His holiness, His righteousness, His, 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 His glory in the attributes of who He was as a holy God could not accept sin. We were separated from Him by sin. I talked about this last week. All of us have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned. We've, we've sinned by, by commission. That means we've done stuff we shouldn't have done. Amen? Right? We've all done things we should have done. Do you know we've also all sinned by omission? That means when there was a good thing you should have done and you didn't, that was sin too. Yay! Thanks so much. That's awesome. This is such a happy message. Um, and because of that sin, God's holiness could not draw near us. We were separated from Him. We were in need of salvation. We were in need of redemption. And so because of that separation, because of that, his grace nature was hungry. It was, it was desperate to bring forgiveness to us. But if he simply pardoned sinners out of his grace, please catch this. I know this is a little weird. Maybe we don't talk about it a lot in church, but we need to. If he would have just blatantly forgiven, he said, you know what? Never mind. My bad. You know, it's good. You're, you're fine. Just, just, you know, what? I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to forgive you out of my grace. You're forgiven then the holiness of God would be diminished. And by diminishing the holiness of God, God would cease to be God. And that's impossible. So this, this tension was created, amen? This tension was pulled. This, 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 this battle, you could almost say, this warring in the nature of God was happening. And so a way needed to be made so that the grace of God, the grace nature of God, could be magnified, could be seen, could be demonstrated, could be displayed, and yet not the holy nature of God be diminished. And in the cross, we see the perfect balance of God's judgment of sin and His grace towards sinners. 
Well, this is good. This is good places to say amen. Just so y'all know, we're new. We're jiving together. We're still getting to know each other. But come on, this is a good place to say amen. You get to have a relationship with God because Jesus died for you. Woo! That's the appropriate response there. Okay. I don't have to go to hell. Okay. This is good stuff. We jiving. We together. We good. Okay. So we we see this 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 reconciliation brought in the very nature of God in the cross. And you just thought the crosses were stuff we put on churches to look cool. Verse 8. So we see them, salvation's brought to us, not because God is gracious, but rather because in His holiness and His graciousness, the cross became the only solution to to resolve the tension in God. Verse 8. So he says, we were saved by the, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Okay, that's the kind of, that the, Peter tells us that a lot of what Paul writes to us is really hard to understand. You realize that? Peter, okay, Peter hung out with Jesus for three years. He was, he was tight with Jesus, right? And he says that some of the stuff that Paul writes to us can be hard to understand. I think this, this whole passage is what Peter was talking about. He read this and was like, what are you even talking about, Paul? What, what, what we're seeing here, what's being shown to us, catch this again. I want to read you these, ver- these words again. So the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished. Everybody say lavish. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So here's what I want you to see. God's grace while lavish. I'm not diminishing, depleting, pulling away from the lavishness, the craziness, the the excessiveness of God's grace. It is absolutely, positively lavish. But at the same time, it was applied in your life and in my life with excess, excessive wisdom and insight. This word lavish some of your other translations, if you read that other ones, I like the way this word is, is translated in other, uh, in other versions is showered. He showered us with grace or he made it to abound, some say. I like what, uh, one, one translation says that his grace was fully and freely given to us. It, the Greek word here means to give more than is needed or to exceed the set amount. Example. How many of you fill up your gas tank? Right? And it clicks, the little mechanism that they built into the gas thing to click, clicks, right? So the wise thing to do would just be like, okay, I'm done. It's full. None of us do that. No, right? We got to like click it 47 more times till it comes shooting back out at us, right? They tell you not to. There's a sign right there at the gas station. It's like, do not overfill. It's bad for the environment. You will kill little penguins in South Africa, in the Antarctic. You will kill them all. They will all die. And you're like, oh, it's not full yet. I haven't, I haven't got gas on my hands, so obviously it's not full. So we, we sit there and we overfill our gas tank. That's what it's talking about. There's a limit. There's a need. There's, a, there's an amount that was required, and God said, no, 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 I'm going to go more than that. We serve a God of more than enough. So it's lavish. It's more than enough, but it's applied with great wisdom, and we got to get this tension here. I like the way it puts it in the Amplified Bible. It says uh, that the grace which he gave us, he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding. And it defines those words with this, practical insight and prudence. It's like Mephibosheth. We, we talked about this last week. Mephibosheth 
was, was restored back to, to, to the possession of all that his father and grandfather had. He had all the land. He had all the servants to work the land. He, the, the Bible literally tells us he would have bread in his house always. But yet he got to live and eat with David. That's what we're talking about when we say lavishness. God's grace is lavish. But at the same time, it's applied to us with effectiveness. What I mean by that is this, that God looked down, saw you. Catch this, please. He saw you and he went, that's a person that if I saved, if I went down and redeemed them, I would really be glorified for that. My grace would be effective, not just, please hear me, not just in saving them, but in me receiving glory through me saving them. Because see, even in God saving you, his primary interest was not in bringing you salvation, but that in bringing you salvation, his nature, his glory would be exalted. This is good stuff. This is really good. You should be really excited about this. So even in you being saved, so he saw you and went, man, dude, if I save that person, if I say, dude, if I went and saved John, he would be like, God is gracious. <laughs> He saw, he saw Mark and he went, dude, no one would think I could save Mark. I actually just ran into a buddy of mine from high school. Well, not a buddy, uh, an arch nemesis from high school. Ran into him downtown Spokane. I was walking down the road, ran into him. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't seen him in like 15, 16, 17 years uh, before BC, you know, before I loved Jesus and before Jesus came in and apprehended me. And uh, before that, and so I was, I was a little bit different before. A little bit. Um, and I, I saw this person, and honestly, I felt like an idiot. The first, my first instinct was like, all right, here we go. And like, Wait, you're not 15 anymore, Mark. Calm down. <laughs> like, uh, it's okay that he stole your girlfriend. Calm down. Okay, and, uh, and, and we bumped into each other. And like, hi, the awkward moment where you realize you both recognize each other, and you start talking. And, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm talking to him, right? And I'm realizing that we've both grown up, that we're not 15 anymore, which is good, right? We're in our 30s now. It's been a while. And I start sharing with him and inviting him to Sozi. He lives here in Spokane. So he should come check out church. He's like, man, I'm not really into church. I'm not really into the whole thing. and not really down with that. I said, look at me. You think I wasn't down with this whole thing? You think I was into this whole thing? And he was like, yeah, wait a second. You're the pastor of the church? Like, yeah. He's like, whoa, that's weird. You got, you, you're a Christian now. I'm like, yeah. Like, really? Like, this isn't like a church of Satan you're a part of? Like, you're, it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I say, hey, you should come check out. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll have to. What, what happened there? God saw me, and he said, if I saved Mark, I would be glorified. Not me. I, not Mark doesn't get any glory for his, him saving me. He gets all the glory. I know like, Mark was so screwed up, so jacked up, so messed up, so broken, busted, and disgusted, that if I saved him, he would be a very effective instrument in bringing me glory. Because everyone knows that joker can't save himself. Right? We jiving? And he thought the same thing about you. Woo-hoo! He went, wow, they are messed up. I have seen all the stuff they've done, and mm, I've seen all the stuff they've thought. And if I save them, the whole universe would have to know that I'm gracious. Amen? This is the whole emphasis of salvation. He knew you to be a great candidate for him to receive glory through you receiving his grace. He's the one then to be praised because of your salvation. He's the one to receive all the glory because you are saved. Amen? Amen. The mystery of God... The mystery of God's will was that he was planning in Christ to reconcile his holiness and his graciousness by redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. I'm going to say that again because you need to catch that. This is, this is the thrust of these few verses here. The mystery of God's will with a mystery within the mystery. 
was that he was planning in Christ to reconcile his holiness and his graciousness by redeeming us through the blood of Jesus. That his will was put on display. His own graciousness, his own glorious grace by pardoning sinners via the blood of Jesus. That we were chosen to be effective instruments of that grace to work in our lives. This is good news, man. This is, this should bring, I'm going to just be honest with you. This should bring a lot of security in your relationship with God because he picked you. He chose you. He redeemed you. He went, you are somebody who can be effective in the working of my grace. I'm going to do something in you and through you. I don't want us to miss that. We're talking a lot about in us, but he chose you because his grace in you and then in the future, his grace through you would bring much glory to him. This is good stuff. So here's what I want us to see. This is the, the this is the thing that by being in him we are saved. Okay? Basic simple. We're starting with the first thing we're gonna, we're gonna go from here, but being saved, in him we are saved, and our salvation is totally in his goodwill. Our salvation is totally by his grace, and our salvation is totally for his glory. I want us to kind of see this and understand that these build on one another. If we take away that it's by his goodwill then suddenly it ceases to be totally by His grace. And then it ceases to be totally for His glory. And this is that, that pecking away that I was talking about. And I worry that modern Christianity is slowly eroding away. And it's, I'm just be honest with you, it's humanism sneaking into the church. We, we, we want to use human wisdom in interpreting the Scriptures instead of just letting the mystery of God be revealed. Where God says, no, you know, I saved you because I chose, because I want, because I felt like it. So I think I got saved. I think I picked Jesus. No, you didn't. This says otherwise. And again, I know a lot of you are like, okay, let's have the theological argument. Let's get into the, let's get into the thing. Can we stop saying, well, well, are you this or are you that? And what? Let's read the Bible and let's believe what it teaches us. Amen? Let's believe what it teaches us and do what it says. And quit picking a camp to be in. Okay, God saves us. Our salvation is totally in His goodwill, totally by His grace, totally for His glory. Amen? Okay, verse 11. Let's keep, keep chewing through this here this morning because we're getting somewhere. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Interesting verses here. If you have uh, read through other translations, other um in translations of this verse, it's actually kind of interesting because there is no article that defines the inheritance. If you read some of them, they'll say that we have become an inheritance to God. And in others like this, the ESV translates it that we have obtained an inheritance from God. The truth is that neither are clearly mapped out in the Bible. Now, this is just Bible study teaching lesson here for you. Side note, just to kind of help you uh, with, with some of this stuff. I believe personally, it's my personal conviction, that when God doesn't clearly define something in the Scripture, we shouldn't try to apply our human wisdom to it and define it, but we should allow it to remain a mystery because He's probably trying to teach us something deeper than if He would have just said one of them. So literally, I believe what He's saying here is this, that you are both the inheritance given to Christ by the Father. Jesus said that those that that Father puts in my hands, come on somebody, were given to Jesus by the Father, we are, we are the inheritance for God, but we are also receiving an inheritance by God, which tells us that we have been 
grafted into his family, because only family gets an inheritance, right? Biblically speaking, only family gets an inheritance. If y'all think that my money's going to you after I die, my kids get it all, right? I love you, I love them more. That's mean, he's a jerk. No, it's good, I'm a dad, come on. By, by, by being in him, there's an inheritance brought, both for God and for us. This is exciting stuff. So we need to see that bo- it's, it's both of these things here. That no matter what, how we translate this, though, and this is what I want us to see, no matter which kind of view you want to take as your personal view, or if you're like me and you're just cool with leaving it kind of a mystical mystery type thing here, either way, God still gets the glory. That's still the emphasis. The reason why, and we can sit here and we can argue like, what do you think the inheritance is? He doesn't say here. There's a reason for that. The point is not the gift. The point is the giver. Okay, when I give my children gifts, it's because I'm trying to show them that I love them and I'm gracious, right? It's not about the gift. Do we understand that? It's not about the gift that's given. Paul here is not digging into, we'll get into some of it later. He's not digging into here what it is that it is our inheritance. He's just trying to show us that, look, in him, not only, catch this, please, not only are you redeemed, not only are you saved, not only do you know that with with all assurance that when you stand before him at the end of your days, will you be pronounced blameless and holy in his presence, but now, presently, you have an inheritance, you have a part to play in his purpose and in his plans and in his His will on the earth today. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. He's saying, like, look, don't don't let yourself, and this is the danger of of going too far into... um, understanding that it's all about him and his glory and his salvation. We can get to the point where I heard somebody once say that we get so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Paul's here trying to say, look, don't think that it's just far off pie in the sky. When you die, you don't have to go to hell. There's, there's an inheritance for you now in the purpose, plans, destiny, and will of God in the earth today. Your salvation does not just purchase for you assurance of salvation, but it purchases for you access to the very family and nature of God. Amen? That's what we see in verse 11. So then here we see this. That by being in Him, we have great promises. Good stuff. Amen? But our inheritance, catch this again, is totally in His goodwill. Did you see that? He chose to give us an inheritance. He chose to give us as an inheritance. It's totally in his goodwill. Our inheritance is is totally by his grace. Our inheritance is totally for his glory. Again, don't break that down. If you start to choose, well, I think I choose what I want from God. No, 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 no. It's his goodwill by his grace for his glory. Do we see this? We follow and we jive in? I'm not hearing you, so I'm assuming no, which means I have to keep screaming at you. No, I'm kidding. All right, verse 13. We're going to land this here. Verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I'm hoping some of you are reading this out of the ESV. You'll see the same um, commas and things in this. We're going to have, I don't have time to give you an English lesson and diagram the sentence and none of you would want to do that right now. But let me just cut out the middle pieces that he's using to to explain what he just said and and shorten this sentence for us here a little bit. Okay? In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. So so we have to understand that in him we have redemption. In him we we have an inheritance. We have promises. And also in him we have access presently to the Holy Spirit. 
Our union with God is not something solely reserved for eternity, but rather we have a taste or a deposit or a guarantee or a promise of it now in our communion with and through the Holy Spirit. Now we gotta, we gotta get on the same page with this Holy Spirit thing in this church. I want, I want to just, now this is not a whole, we're not going to preach a whole message on the Holy Spirit now. We're landing this thing. This is where I wanted to end it because this is kind of the crescendo of this portion of scripture here, but we got to get on this. As Christians, we believe in the Trinitarian God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If anybody ever comes to you and says, well, you know, the Trinity's not in the Bible, just read them these verses. It talks about the Father. It talks about Jesus. It talks about the Holy Spirit, and it says they're all God. Okay? We believe in the Trinitarian God. He's three persons, one God. Three, one. Everybody say three. One. He's three in one. The Holy Spirit is equal with God. They're, they're all equal. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all equal and all unique, but they're one. Okay, now a bunch of y'all were raised in, in some form of Christianity, and you're thinking of all of the cheesy analogies that you were taught about what the Trinity is, right? Like, he's like water. He can be liquid, or he can be a solid, or he can be a vapor. He's like an egg. He's got a shell. He's got a white... No, all of those are heresy. None of them are true. Yay! The only biblical example we have of the unity in the Trinity, and by the way, I have to do this maybe just for people listening on podcast. If you, re- if you own a copy of The Shack, burn it! It's horrible. It's heresy. It's awful. You're like, but I really liked it. I don't care. It was horrible. It was awful. It was heresy. You don't need to read it. Don't read it again. Burn it. But they sell it at the Christian bookstore. Not a good gauge for what you read. The only biblical example we have of the Trinity, the only explanation we have for this weird three-in-one is marriage. The same word for one used in, in the Trinity that, with, that God is one God is the same word used in marriage where it says the two shall become one. Adonai was asking me about the, the Trinity a while back, and I used this in this biblical explanation for it. I said, mom and dad are two people, right? Yeah. I said, but when you ask us something, you get the same answer, don't you? She said, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's like God. Three people. The Holy Spirit has his own will, his own desires, his own emotions, but they're unified. They're one. Now the Holy Spirit, to just dig into the Holy Spirit a little bit, the Holy Spirit is not mysticism. Come on, somebody. The Holy Spirit is not like voodoo. The Holy Spirit is not the Christian force. If you listen to what's taught by some people, that's kind of the idea you get, isn't it? Like, the Holy Spirit, I want to just nail this. The Holy Spirit is not something you use. Come on. It's, it's, it's God using you. It's God moving in you. It's God moving through you. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? We, we jiving on this? Now here's the problem. The problem is there's two camps inside the church right now. I love, I love camp wars inside the church. They're hilarious. You got camp number one says, well, I believe the Holy Spirit is just here to like empower us to live holy and all that weird stuff in the Bible doesn't need to happen anymore because we have the Bible, right? We've all heard this maybe. That, that, that's kind of the, the days of like people getting healed and speaking in tongues and prophecy and all the weird signs and wonder stuff. That's over because we have the Bible now and we don't need that stuff anymore. We've somehow spiritually evolved past it. And then you've got the other camp over here that like gets all into the weird stuff and like believes in 
like the signs and the wonders and the healing, and they just focus on the Holy Spirit as this empowered giver of gifts to do all of this great stuff and to be all mystical and powerful. And can I tell you, they're both wrong. And they're both right. We can't, we can't allow ourselves to, to fall into either camp. I, I, it's my personal opinion that we can harvest the truth from both and not abandon the truth of either. The Holy Spirit... This is where we're landing. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. Please hear this. Again, there is no deeper revelation of Jesus. Say it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We've got to understand this. It's all about Jesus. When we say that, we mean everything in God is all about Jesus, which means the Holy Spirit being given to us is given to us that we might be like Christ. In both ways. That means we live in true holiness. I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm not talking about some external change with no real change of heart. I'm talking about genuinely, wholeheartedly living our lives. Come on, somebody. Living our lives with genuine transformation, genuine difference in who we are by the power of the Holy Spirit active in our lives. But he also empowers us to be like Jesus in the sense of seeing the impossible become possible. And we as a church will pursue both and not apologize to either camp. I don't believe we can just bury ourselves in the charismatic Pentecostal camp that only wants to see the Holy Spirit as the giver of, of signs and wonders gifts and not understand that he also desires to change our lives and, and transform us to be more like Jesus. But I also won't just sit here and say, well, we just have to have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit so we get more holy, but we can't, we, we don't need any of these things. Can I tell you the world desperately needs to see the reality of God put on display by him and not by us. And it's a great sign to people to see genuine healing happen in their lives. And we have seen and we will continue to see God move miraculously and supernaturally in the lives of people. And we will continue to believe for it and we will continue to pray for it. But we will not abandon the transforming power of the Holy Spirit either. So in Him, by being in Him, this is our last one, by being in Him, we have relationship with Him. Our access is totally by, in His goodwill, our access is totally by His grace, our access is totally for His glory. I wish I had time this morning to unpack all of that. I don't. But I want us to see that. I want us to embrace that. I want us to get that. You have the Holy Spirit because He wants you to. He desires to be with you. You have the Holy Spirit not because you're good enough, but because His grace, working through the shed blood of Christ, has redeemed you so that He gets all the glory. Amen? All right, let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to enter back into worship right now. We're going to respond. We're going to respond in a few ways. Two challenges for you all this morning in this area of the Holy Spirit. I want us to, to reflect on the glory of God in our salvation. I'm going to take some time, and I want you to see that Honestly, maybe, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable beyond what's necessary. But maybe you've allowed yourself over the years. Maybe it was taught to you. Maybe it's something that you've embraced out of your own thankfulness. But maybe you've attempted 
to take some of the credit for your salvation and you need to repent of that right now. The Bible makes it clear that he will share his glory with no one. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He saved you. He chased you down, grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and pulled you into a relationship with him. Now you might have responded with all humility and, and, and acceptance, but that salvation was bought for you. We need to reflect for a little bit and let our hearts be stirred up. What Paul was trying to do here in hammering this point home was trying to bring us to a place of engaging in the glory of God, engaging in exalting his attributes, exalting his his nature. We need to take some time this morning and do that together, to, to ponder on it, to let the reality of what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for sink into our hearts, sink into our lives, and change us by this revelation. And the next thing I want to challenge us in is this. As we continue to worship, as we continue to press into God, I want you to open yourselves up this morning to the Holy Spirit in a new way. Now maybe for you, that's you, you, you've always kind of engaged in the, the power and the presence side of things, and, and you've kind of got that, but you've never really opened up to the Holy Spirit in areas of holiness and purity in your life. And here's the truth. You might have struggled with areas in repetitive falling in of sin over and over again. And often this is caused because we abandon our relationship with the Holy Spirit in that area. And maybe for you, you've, you've kind of always engaged in God and this whole, he, he makes me holier, but you've never allowed him to use you in power. You've never allowed him to, to work through you like he worked through Jesus. And you need to open yourself up this morning to that and say, God, you can do whatever you want through me. So I'm going to pray. And the, the, the team is going to take us back in. We also have communion available. I apologize, forgot. We have communion. We take communion every week as a church. It's part of our way of remembering the sacrifice of Christ. We do it by a method called antiquation, which simply means we rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and, and partake. You're free to do that during this response time at any point. This is open to any who've put their faith in Jesus. If you If you have a relationship with God, if you've been saved, if you've been transformed, if you've been redeemed, this table is open to you. You don't have to go through a class. You don't have to be a member. Open to anybody. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you and we praise you for the redeeming power of God at work in our life. We thank you that we have a purpose in you, God. We thank you that you have a, a relationship with you. God, we rejoice in the reality of what you did for us. God, that it's not just some mystical mysticism afar off, but that it's real and it's present and it's now. And God, we repent right now of ever seeking to pull away glory from you in this area of salvation and give it to ourselves. God, we magnify you. We make you big. We, we hold up your glory in our salvation. God, it is not by our works. It is not by our abilities. It is not by what we've done, but it's completely and totally and absolutely by what you have done in and through us. And God, we glorify you in that, God. We say you're the one. You're the one who's done it. And we give you all glory. We give you all majesty. Give it to you. We ascribe it to you, Jesus. Jesus.